everyone. We are live for a brand new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host. And as usual, I'm joined by Seth Wintraub coming out of New York. How are you doing, Seth? I'm good. All right, let's jump right into to the news this week. Uh, starting with a little exclusive that I have this week. Uh, I talked to a few sources and Tesla uh, communicated to employees this week that uh, they expect the IRS to release their guidance for the new federal tax credit for electric vehicles. Uh, the updated one with the guidance specifically for battery sourcing and mater battery material sourcing. Actually, battery, battery pack and assembly, battery sales, manufacturing, and battery material sourcing. So these are all the guidance that are missing that are expected to have the biggest impact on the revised tax rate that was launched earlier this year. Well, I, I mean, the, the most complicated impact, the, the most difficult one to understand for, for automakers, I think the biggest impact is most likely like the, the cap on the income <laughs> that was that eliminated a bunch of people, the electric vehicle buyers, uh, and um, and also the, the, the price caps on the vehicles. But that we found that automakers have found a way around that uh, quite often, including Tesla. Uh, so Tesla's vehicle, all the Model Ys and Model 3s were eligible for... Um, the tax credit, which is a big deal for Tesla. But now the Tesla has made it clear to the employees that even though they don't have the IRS guidance just yet, they expect, in the, they expect them in the next few days, which makes sense because we're at the end of the quarter and uh, they were expected by the end of March. And they say that they are fully expecting to lose the tax credit, the full tax credit on the Model 3 standard range, which is the cheapest vehicle that Tesla offers right now. And the cheaper the vehicle, the more the full tax credit as an impact on, on the purchasing decision. And, um, and yeah, the reason for that is pretty simple. This standard range Model 3 is using iron phosphate LFP battery cells, and those right now are solely produced in China. So Tesla sells for that version of the vehicle. Even though the vehicle is produced in Fremont, a Fremont factory, it is using cells coming straight from CATL in China. Uh, so that's going to eliminate the, the, the 37... Uh, the the $3,750 tax credit associated with that. But they should still get access to part of the credit, and at that price, it should have an impact. Everything else so far looks pretty good at Tesla. They won't know for sure just yet until their guidance are released, but Tesla has the big advantage of, one, having all the other vehicles using cells produced um, in Gigafactory Nevada, and now more recently, a Fremont um, pilot factory for the 4680. And uh, I'm pretty sure that right now Tesla is producing at least part of their cells uh, coming into the Model Y standard range or, you know, the, the all-wheel drive with lower range, however you want to call it, uh, the, um, with 4680 cells like Gigafactory Texas. So those are all cells coming from the U.S. So that Check that uh, on the IRS list. Uh, but the, the, the battery material sourcing is a little bit more complicated. But Tesla also has sourced a lot of materials there from um, Vail uh, Canada for the nickel. So Canada has a free trade agreement with the U.S., so that's good. Uh, a lot of lithium um, from uh, Australia, also good. Uh, the, the thing that's going to complicate it, complicate a lot of things, is the, how the IRS is going to look into the processing of those minerals. So the lithium has to become lithium hydroxide and, and there's, this whole process is still vastly dominated by uh, China. So let's say that Tesla gets the actual 
lithium metal from Australia, but then the metal goes to China or any other country that doesn't have a free trade agreement with the U.S., then do you still get points for having sourced that in Australia? That's the big question that we need answered, and we're probably going to get it answered in the next few days. But that's going to have a massive impact on Tesla for, for that, but also on any other automakers. And a lot of automak other automakers also don't have the benefit of having the cells even being produced in the U.S. just yet. So that's, uh, that's also going to be uh, affecting a lot of people relatively soon. Yeah, so um, Ford recently announced that they're going to start making LFP batteries uh, in Detroit or mm -hmm. or maybe at uh, Blue Oval, but they're going to be making their own. Do you think Tesla does that same thing? I mean, for the for the tax credit? I mean, well, I mean, we do know that Tesla said that the 4680 cell is a chemistry, um, what's the term? Agnostic. Agnostic, thank you. Uh, and that the, the, the implied that they would produce the 4680 with LFP chemistry. Hmm. So I would assume that that's coming. Yeah, I probably just can't get that up to speed in time for this no. uh, thing to go over. But I mean, obviously, it's a lot of money to kind of leave on the table. It probably makes it worth producing those in the U.S. I wonder if there's some sort of like half produced, you know, if they can send, you know, the 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 naked cells over and then they <laughs> just like uh when you, the mole s and x were assembled in, in tilburg basically, yes in, exactly in the netherlands yeah i don't think you can do that with cells that we the whole the 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 they are sort of becoming commodities to, to a degree too like it's right. you just have to produce them in extremely high volume uh with low capital expenditure for, for the, the manufacturing capacity that you deploy so mm -hmm. We, we we need a cell industry in North America. That's what we need. And to this new AV federal tax credit, credit <laughs> no pun intended, it has been successful, extremely successful as bringing investments for that. Like North yeah. America, especially the US, Canada, and, and more recently, Mexico has benefited from it too with the giant Gigafactory Mexico announcement. The, these are all mainly because of that. Like, you maybe Tesla would not have built a Gigafactory in Mexico if it wasn't for that. Um, now Tesla has made also a huge investment in uh, Gigafactory Nevada to produce both the Tesla Semi and also their own 4680 cells. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see some LFP there too. Um, of course, Canada has benefited a lot too with uh, Volkswagen announcing this huge factory, uh, battery cell factories in, in Ontario just a few weeks ago. Battery material investment here in Quebec has been insane too with... Uh, this battery valley that people are talking about around Becanco, a lot of lithium um, refining, a lot of uh, graphite production, a lot of um, basically everything is being produced there now, except for the cells. But we've been hearing things that things might be coming for the cells in that in, the, in that area too, and it would just it would just make a ton of sense. Though the the real question is who's going to build it because. As of now, like GM has a big hold on everything there. They, they bought all the capacity from everyone. So it would make sense that GM slash LG, uh, big partner for GM. Has GM confirmed any other partner from for battery cell production than LG? Or are they are like fully on? Uh, so th there was some controversy over LG. There was like a, a disagreement about making their next factory. I think that had to do with GM wanting to get... Um, cylindrical cells versus the pouch cells mm. or something okay and then of course you know there's the the bolt fires which couldn't have helped yeah. the uh, relationship 
Yeah, no, that's for sure. But because you know, you have Ford, like obviously Tesla now is was a long time just with Panasonic, and then now they're fully diversified. Ford uh, got in bed with SK Innovation, but then more recently opened up and started working with CATL. So there's you, everyone is seeing the need right now to diversify your your cell supply. Right. Um, so I'm a bit concerned about GM if they are just just with LG, even though LG is massive producer of battery cells. All right, we have a few more Tesla news to discuss before moving to other news this week. Uh, if you guys have any question, we have uh, Farf Olomu already in uh, Farf Olomu. I think I even produced the data. I don't know what they, they produced the pronunciation. Uh, I have a question, but if you guys have any question, any topic you wanted to discuss this week, please uh, put them in the comment section right now. We're going to have plenty of time at the end of the show to discuss them. But moving on, Cybertruck. We love some Cybertruck production news. It is by far the most anticipated electric vehicle program of the year of 2023. And I know that some people are very excited about Tesla possibly low-balling it and, and being ready sooner than we think. I'm not, I'm not on that train, to be honest. But, but I, I do feel more and more confident about a startup production this summer. And now we saw Tesla is taking delivery of a second 9-ton gigapress. So this, these are the new gigapress that, um, that uh, um, Hydra from Italy are, are producing. They are known as the biggest casting press in the world. And uh, Tesla used a 6-ton one for a while. And um, that what's produced the rear casting of the Model Y that change uh, 70 parts into two parts. And uh, now they want to use an even bigger one, a nine ton one for the, uh, for, for the Cybertruck. And they already took delivery of one a few months ago. They were assembling it. And so that was exciting by itself. And Hydra has been teasing that they were building another one and they were shipping it out a few weeks ago. And now we just learned that it arrived at the port of Houston and on the bill of lighting, guess who's the customer? Tesla. So it confirms that Tesla is getting the first two. Now, it's not exactly clear whether the second one is needed for the production line of uh, just the, the startup of the production line of, it, of his having Tesla having a second one is going to allow more production capacity, overall production capacity. So it's being deployed right now for because it takes a while to assemble those things like look at that this is like barely like probably 10 percent assemble once it's all put together it's massive it's like um, two like decent sized single story houses uh just two stories houses put together so the the big question is is it gonna be does it need to be ready by the time tesla start production or is it just gonna be ready after as tesla ramp up because we know that the ramp up is not expected this year uh cybertruck production in volume that's more for 2024 if we're lucky but the fact that tesla is getting a second one is still exciting because we know a lot of other makers are also looking to get some of those uh, since tesla has moved to uh, bigger casting a lot, a lot of uh, automakers are not on board with the idea because there are some drawbacks especially well actually uh, claim to be drawbacks uh, when it comes to uh, repairability especially if there's a crash or something like that uh, can be an issue uh, if you have to scrap the whole frame of the car basically but uh, a lot of automakers have seen the big advantages in terms of the 
footprint of the production lines in terms of um, the, all the welding that you avoid with it, the time of production. Uh, and this is making some claims about also just the overall rigidity of the vehicle and that could help with um, safety, of course. So, which it's supposed to be the number one priority of any automaker. Therefore, a lot, a lot of them have placed order. I think Hydro confirmed like 10 automakers over the last two years have placed order with them. But uh, uh, Hydro says that it could take like a decade before other automakers can implement that into their own production processes. We have a new Tesla safety score 2.0. All right, so that's uh, been one of the more controversial programs for Tesla, the safety score, which uh, I mean, a lot of people have known it for the uh, FSD beta program, but now it's not so much in play because everyone that uh, paid for the full self-driving package can get it regardless of their safety score. But so now it's more about Tesla insurance. So if you're in a market where you have access to this insurance and now there's like a dozen states in the U.S. that has it, the whole product is based around real-time data that Tesla can connect uh, from your car and use that data to determine how good of a driver, how good with air quotes here, of a driver you are based on that safety score. So... Tesla has been saying, like, we're going to improve that safety score to be more representative of uh, your driving behavior uh, over time. And this is the first big update that we get. And it's a welcome one because there's been a lot of complaints. Like, um, as Tesla started out, like, the things that were affecting your score were, like, the number of forward collision warnings you get, uh, which uh, it can be a problem because sometimes you get a collision warning when you're nowhere near uh, having a collision. Uh, then you have like heartbreaking events too. So that's that makes a little bit of sense because uh, if you're not supposed to be heartbreaking, you're supposed to, to see what's coming and like slowly decelerate at a, a normal pace. Aggressive turning, I don't know what that means exactly. I, sometimes I do like to be more aggressive in my turns. I don't know like how aggressive it is that it affects your score negatively. Unsafe following distance, that's a good one, obviously. Um, and... Uh, if you get forced autopilot disengagement, so Tesla loves the fact that you use autopilot. Actually, the more you use autopilot, the more it's supposed to positively affect your score too. So that's something to take in mind. But if uh, autopilot is as a force disengagement, meaning that you're not responding to the alerts to put pressure on the steering wheel, for example, then uh, that affects your score negatively. However, I don't know if, because uh, sometimes I don't know if you get that set when you drive with autopilot and... Um, out of nowhere, it gives you like the red the red alert, and you have to without like I've been I've been paying attention. I even have my hands on the wheels, but having your hands on the wheels, you know, doesn't necessarily have an impact. But I I see that I don't have the blue lights flashing or anything like that. I don't have like you don't have to do anything. But then out of nowhere, it disengages. Like grab the wheel, grab the wheel. Did you get that sometimes? No, I haven't gotten that. No, you never got that. Okay, for me it happens sometimes, and normally I can see why. Like if there's like a, a level change on the road on the highway or something, then like the car doesn't see for a second. It doesn't see the road ahead, and like it, it freaks out, like things like that. Um, on the 20 here, we have a spot like that around Drummondville where there's like a big elevation change, and it doesn't see in front. And if I don't catch it first, it gives me a disengagement, even though like I'm going straight. Uh, so that you can run into that, and then that can literally increase your premium the next month from your insurance. <laughs> But Tesla's made an update to like tune things over to make it a little bit more fair, I guess, fairer. Uh, and um, first one, 
added excessive speed as a new safety factor, more time spent over 85 miles per hour will lead to uh, a lower safety score. So that sort of makes sense uh, everywhere outside of Germany. What, what's 85 miles per hour? Uh, In kilometers? Just... Oh, yeah, it was just for it's like 120 or 130. Uh, 137. So yeah, that that that's that's fast. Like I, I rarely go over 120 if I don't have to. Um, so that makes sense. And do you have a speed limit at 85 over 85? It's in the U.S. It's pretty rare, right? Uh, like yeah, 80, one, 80 is the top one normally. No? There's one place in Texas you can go 85, I think. And okay. There's some places in Montana that you can go pretty fast too, but not much. If not most of the time, it's 80 then the top limit, right? 75. 75, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, added unbuckle driving is a new safety factor. If you're over 10 miles per hour and Tesla detects that you don't have your uh, seatbelt buckled, uh, lower safety score. It's also fair. Um, also fair, but at the same time, that's bodily injury. That's not, that's not your insurance, right? That's not your car insurance. Like if you get into an accident and you're unbuckled, like your car is not worse for it. You're worse for right, it. Right, right. <laughs> a lot more blood to clean up. Yeah, and, and well, does car insurance in the U.S. includes your own personal insurance, like your health insurance? Like, I get into a car accident. Does my insurance or the other person that is involved in insurance goes into play, or if it's or if it's your health insurance that, that covers it, your your own cost, your own you hospitalization cost? That's a good question. I don't know for sure. I mean, I know that if you hit somebody else, your insurance yeah. pays for their hospitalization. But if your you get car insurance your, pays for it, yeah. yeah, your car insurance pays for their hospital insurance mm -hmm. or their hospital stay. Yeah, I don't know. That's mm -hmm. a good question. Yeah, because that would make sense for that. But otherwise, it, it doesn't because like it wouldn't affect Tesla's. Uh, if the other person <laughs> that you hit with your Tesla vehicle with Tesla insurance doesn't have their seatbelt buckle, then that would have an impact on, on Tesla's insurance. Anyway, this is a big one here. Updated late night driving to be risk weighted based on when you are driving from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. The impact of late night driving on your safety scars will depend on the proportion of time spent in driving in each hour from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. The impact on your safety car, the safety score is now reduced earlier in the night and increase later in the night. So that's an interesting one. Because so, so before I assume that whenever, how much time you spend between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. driving, that would affect your score. Now, less so if it's, let's say, between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. But if it's between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m., that would have a bigger increase on your premium. So that's one of the biggest complaints that I've seen from people um, that have this insurance. Like if you... Like it, I, I get what this is saying. There, there is a higher risk of accident at night, and also like late night driving can be associated with not just like sleep deprivation, but uh, also like uh, being inebriated and all that. Uh, however, like you have some people that just have to, to like let's say that you uh, work in the city, and then on like every week uh, Friday you you leave at eight and you drive to your cottage and then it's four hours away. Then you have like two hours of driving between ten and midnight every week. Like, uh, what, what are you gonna do about that? Like, there's, there's not there's nothing to do, and that would increase your insurance, even though it doesn't seem to have much added risk. So now it seems that Tesla would try to weigh that a little bit better, but it's still not exactly clear from the uh, what they talked about in the update. 
And the last one is updated hard braking safety factor. So now it excludes braking events that occur when the vehicle detects a yellow traffic light. So that makes sense. Like you're just you're trying to be a good driver by braking harder in those occasions. So you shouldn't be negatively affected by it. So that sounds like a good update from Tesla if they do detect that yellow traffic light. <laughs> but uh, you know, Tesla is not. That's that would be like autopilot, FSD, beta base. Well, overall, it seems like a good step in that direction. And, um, you know, there, there's the, Tesla came out, like they didn't, I don't think Tesla wanted to have an insurance product. It's like they were kind of forced to do it because Tesla owners were complaining about higher insurance from a lot of um, the bigger policy writers in, in, in the U.S. specifically, but also in other markets. Uh, so Tesla kind of tried to put pressure on them with that by offering lower insurance that is based on real-time data. And it makes sense to be based on real-time data too if you're willing to share that data with uh, your insurers. Uh, other auto insurers have been doing it, but Tesla obviously has a way more insight into how people drive their cars and because they're fully connected. Yep. So this could be a big business for Tesla, but it only works if it works, if that safety score is representative of how good of a driver it is. And so far, I mean, I know Seth, you've been frustrated with the safety score for a long time, even though it's not about this insurance, about FSD beta, but uh, like based on your experience with the safety score on FSD beta, you wouldn't get Tesla insurance with it, right? Well, I would, I would probably be at such a high rate that it wouldn't make sense for me to get insurance from Tesla. Um, but all my safety score points were like problems getting out of my driveway where Tesla thought, you know, I was doing something that I wasn't. So um, it's, it's, you know, like if, if the FSD gets better and the, and you know, the, the vision stuff gets better, then theoretically I won't have as many false positives and my safety mm -hmm. score would go up. And then theoretically my cost of insurance would go down. Although anecdotally, we've heard uh, that people making claims uh, with Tesla have had some issues um, yep. getting the money. And I don't know. I mean, we've not heard just getting the money, but I mean, if you ever made an insurance claim before, you know, it's not an easy thing to do. And there's a lot of uh, investigation involved and, and all that. So you have to talk to people and customer service is not Tesla's uh Biggest nope. strength, like just getting someone on the phone is hard sometimes. And you would think that for Tesla insurance, if you've just been in an accident and uh, and, and you, you need to get someone involved like relatively fast, uh, you need to talk to someone relatively fast. And it's apparently not up to standard just yet when it comes to uh, Tesla insurance. It's things that it can improve though, for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, obviously, also Tesla's goal is to never have any accidents. So, right, we are also not very close from that either. Speaking of what is supposed to provide that lack of accident, is this self-driving program for Tesla? And it was a report that was making the round this week, uh, coming from SF Gate about they interviewed a bunch of uh, former Tesla autopilot engineers uh, discussing the move to remove the radar and. Um, they describe a situation where a decent amount of engineers at Tesla autopilot program were pushing back against the move to remove the radar. And um, the report described Elon Musk basically completely overriding the, 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 the engineers and going full speed into vision only, no more radar. 
which is not exactly surprising of a report, to, to be honest. And But I, I, I find it interesting because, especially in the context that Tesla is adding back a radar now with Arduit 4, uh, that has been confirmed, even though the company hasn't commented on it just yet. Uh, we have like extremely strong evidence at this point that Tesla has added a radar to uh, hardware 4.0, which is starting to be rolled out through the mobile S and X. But we did report at the time that Elon had confirmed, even at the moment that they were removing the radar, that he did admit that a radar, if it's a high-resolution radar, is safer than just Tesla Vision. Uh, so that's one of the last communication we had with Elon before he blocked us. But he said that a very high-resolution radar would be better than pure vision, but such a radar does not exist. That was in 2021. Um, I mean, vision with high-res radar would be better than pure vision. And now that's what we assume is happening right now. So the new radar is high resolution and it is in combination with um, the vision system, it is better. The report also had another interesting thing that I think uh, is worth mentioning and that's the, the fact that well, we already knew that uh, Elon has sent a bunch of Tesla investors, uh, not investors, sorry, uh, engineers to Twitter after he bought it last year. Uh, but now we we learned that even um, Tesla's head of um, autopilot software, like the Ashok Eloswamy, might be missing out his uh, his last name, but Ashok is the head of autopilot and self-driving software at Tesla, arguably the most important program at Tesla, and the one that is the most behind and on its timelines, the promised timelines. So it's pretty wild that Elon would let the guy in charge of most reported program that is behind, like go work at Twitter on some, I know that if you base it on Elon saying that uh, like the woke mind virus and all that is the, the most important thing, thing to humanity in the world, yeah. and everything. But like you, you don't see, see him say that at the same breath that he's like, Oh, by the way, also we need to save the millions of lives that self-driving could, could, could save um, theoretically. I would think that that's a little bit more of a priority, especially how much like how big of an impact Twitter is going to have on wokeness. Really, <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't see it. Like even if it, it can like level things out a bit, which probably would be good. Like uh, but just doing it's, it's making it worse. Yeah, just doing it is super hard to do. Too. I'm not saying that they're going to do it, but let, let's say that perfect world like they fix it it's an the they manage to fix a cultural problem with the engineering like good luck with that but like maybe it's possible but even that like twitter is just a small part of the public discourse these days like it's not gonna have that big of an impact while if you do solve self-driving that's undeniable the impact it's gonna have uh, on life saves from accident for sure but also just on on economical impact that it's gonna have on the world massive and then you're gonna let you, the guy that's in charge of that go work at twitter I'm, uh, i don't i wouldn't say let i would say he probably made him go work at twitter yeah well that, that's that's where he I, wasn't I, like hey what do you what are you doing today not much oh i, come I, over. I don't know i don't know about like because there's something I, I don't know like sec could get involved in, in, in things like that i think it's more of a situation that like, you're, you're right it might you might have felt obligated to do it but it might be a situation like i need help at twitter right now if some people off your time at, at Tesla, even though Tesla is not a nine to five job, like, you, right. like they, they normally ask you to be there all the time, like they want you to be there all the time. But like off your Tesla job, if you want to spend some hours at Twitter, like you'd be welcome and all that. And uh, then that email found 
it's win two S shocks in box. And he, he was like, Oh, that's coming from Elon. I better put a few hours in a Twitter this week, which makes no yeah. sense. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that, like, especially considering just how behind Tesla is on its Yeah, it's not like promises. full self-driving is just going really swimmingly. It's it's like in trouble and you know, people are start wanting out now. And uh putting the head guy on that on Twitter is just like really bad publicity. Yeah. Not a great look. All right. Uh, there's already some automakers that are taking advantage of Tesla opening up its network in the U.S. to non-Tesla electric vehicles. And uh, Rivian is one of them. And Rivian is uh, not surprising that it's one of them that's getting on board uh, as Hurley just because uh, they basically have copy-pasted their charging strategy from Tesla. They went, uh, instead of relying on third-party network, like most of the automakers, they want, they want their own. The Adventure network, which is the equivalent of the Supercharger network. And then they have their Waypoint network, which is just like Tesla's uh, this, uh, destination network. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, this is they're they like uh, the exact same thing. But at the same time, the Adventure network is just like, I think they have a dozen or maybe two dozen stations open just yet. So it doesn't have a massive impact. So as soon as they saw that Tesla was opening the network with the first magic dock stations uh, in uh, New York and, uh, and California, they uh, already released uh, less than a month later, they released an update uh, to their software where they added those locations directly into their navigation system. So now when you're um, planning a trip in your Rivian, uh, the supercharger stations show up and you can use them to charge if they are at uh, an optimal location. Now, obviously, that doesn't have a great impact right now because, <laughs> but it, it doesn't have a great impact right now. But long term, it's a great strategy because I think they, they're, they're roughly the same numbers of Tesla supercharger station in the US right now that non Tesla viewer can use and Rivian drivers can use as they are Adventure Network <laughs> from Rivian uh, Adventure Network stations. So it'd be, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to grow faster, Tesla's Magic Dock stations or Rivian Adventure Network. I would have to assume that's going to be the Magic Dock so that soon enough, Tesla's supercharger network is going to have a bigger impact on Rivian owners than Rivian's own network, I think. What do you think, Sid? That's, that's interesting. Also, you know, we haven't really talked about Rivian taking money from the government and working on their network. Rivian uh, was like Tesla was until recently where they would only allow their fast charging to be done on Rivian's. Um, I don't know if that's going to, if yeah. Rivian's going to take some money from the government and open theirs up. It would be obviously a lot easier for Rivian to open theirs up because they have a CCS, CCS. combo already. Mm -hmm. um, they haven't announced anything, right? We wouldn't have seen it. That would have seen yeah, it. they would have said something. Uh, I guess I think it's just such a small startup-y type program for them. I mean, you know, they're you planning I, like 600 or something though. Like yeah. they, they're planning to be like a full size, like charging network. Yeah. And they're, they're, they want to focus kind of not where like electrify Americas are, but more like, you know, near national parks and places where, um, you know, charges aren't already, you yeah. know, adventure network where there's adventure to be found, I guess. Um, you know, we, we saw that, uh, MKBHD and a couple other Rivian drivers, uh, tested, uh, Tesla's network and they were getting like good 200 kilowatt speeds um, on the Rivian so it's clearly a good network for Rivians to, to jump on um, yeah it's just interesting that uh, 
you know, Rivian, you know, they're being very advantageous in, in jumping on the, the Tesla network. But at the same time, it's kind of curious that they're not just saying, hey, like there's free money out there for building infrastructure. We're also going to, I mean, you know, if they're copying Tesla, Tesla's opening up their network. Rivian should open up their network too. I mean, I know they have like single digit stations at this point, but it, it would seem like a good thing to do. Yeah, especially, but maybe they think that right now they have a bigger advantage having it closed because the first one that they are opening are the ones that, like you said, are really aimed toward adventure. Like they are locations that maybe you won't find any other charging solution. So, because let's say you have a Hummer EV, for example, that you can also take off roading mm -hmm. and um, you could use that adventure network that would be super useful, but then. The only options that Rivian wants are like, hey, why did I get a Rivian instead of a Hummer? Right, right. <laughs> it could be useful. Maybe they're thinking that way. Not, not that. I, I mean, Rivian right now's problem. I don't think is demand that much. But you know, what's kind of weird is, um, I wonder if Tesla's still testing this. But you would think that by now there would be more than the original what ten or eleven uh, stations open. But I've I would assume it's testing. They already deployed those because I was surprised that he even made the announcement so soon after deploying the first few ones. So it, it could make sense that they deploy those and then they are just testing to see how it goes before they move to more. And I, at the same time, you know, we 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 just we said that oh, the Magic Duck is a nice solution and everything, but the short cables are a real problem right now. Like it right. is it is uh, locking up substation. And we said that we were surprised that Tesla launched it like that at the same time. So they might they might be slowing things down thinking that uh, they need a new solution. But that's because uh, especially if they are getting the money for new stations, it makes sense to just go supercharger V4 longer cable with Magic Duck. Like those those two together seems to be the, the nice combo if, uh, if you're deploying new stations. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if you can put you know old stations and new stations together but like yeah. you would think that it would be easier just to retrofit one or two stations per you know location rather than making a whole location um magic dot com compatible yeah. at least that would give more options out there yeah but again it might be part of the testing phase too they were just testing that maybe yeah, and it was easier to just add them for 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 the testing phase to the existing station. All right, we're gonna move on from Tesla news right now. Uh, but uh, if you guys have any questions, put them in the comment section right now. I want to get get to them in about 10, 15 minutes after we're done with a few non-Tesla news items where we're gonna discuss this week. Starting with Ford unveiling the fully electric Explorer EV. Um, now. Yeah. In Europe, yeah, the big the big caveat is that it's not for the North American market. It is for Europe because it is the first Ford that is built on Volkswagen's MEB platform. So we weren't sure what's going to happen with that uh, because uh, that deal was made basically before Ford went like sort of all in on electric vehicles, and uh, and we were criticizing that deal a little bit because it is weird that you're going to Ford like a big automaker like Ford is going to rely on a fully electric platform from another automaker, a competitor technically, uh, like that. So we felt like they were like just giving up uh, EV expertise by doing that. But it's, it looks like Ford saw it as, a, as something that he needed to do to maintain um, 
space in the European market because of the regulation. They're a little bit more aggressive, forcing automakers to have a larger part of their overall sales in the market to be all electric. And uh, they sort of aren't, weren't ready for that because they just had the Mackie, which is an electric SUV, not the most popular thing in Europe. Uh, though, they're, though they're allowed to get with the Explorer, which is also an SUV. Is the Explorer smaller than the Mackie? I think it's bigger. Yeah, that, my, my first thought was bigger too. All right, um, what, what do we have on this? But, thing? It, but it's similar. Like none of these things are that different. They're all like the yeah. ID4, ID5. So it's the, it's the ID4, right? It's, the, it's a Ford branded ID4, basically, is it? Pretty much. I mean, that's what it looks like. What are the specs on this thing? I mean, the, the shape's a little different, but... So it's a five-seater. The interior sort of a little bit reminiscent of the Mackie, but a little bit more doesn't streamlined, have that maybe. The dial, either. Yeah, it doesn't have the dial, but it has the, the vertical uh, screen. Right. Uh, where are the powertrain specs? I want to see how they compare to the ID4. Uh, 10 to 80% in 25 minutes. That's better yeah. than the ID4. Yeah. That's like the next gen. Wait, do we, do we don't have the the specs of the the battery pack or anything on like that? I don't. I don't think they uh, they publicized it yet. Okay, all right. So just a few pictures. A few pictures and the price. Uh, price of forty five thousand euros, which is just under fifty thousand dollars US, even though it won't be sold in the US. So it's not like we need to compare it. But um, it's a good looking car, though. A good looking truck. Yeah, I like the uh, exterior design. Yeah, it looks like it could do some off-roading, maybe. I don't know. Well, maybe, you know. maybe not anything spectacular, but... You can explore. Right. Uh, we're not super excited for it, obviously, just because it's not in the U.S. And it's going to be um, probably limited in production capacity because uh, Ford is going to get what Volkswagen gets them in terms of the MEB platform. But it is it is really weird that Ford and VW are teaming up because like the ID4 and ID5 are the same vehicle segment as this thing and the Mach E. Like it just like maybe Ford is like, look, we're not gonna have time or resources to build a battery factory in Europe. So for this first couple rounds of EVs coming out of Europe, we're just gonna use Volkswagens. I mean, I guess that's the idea, and they yeah. they do team up on uh, uh, Electrify America over here in the U.S. So that's something well, everyone does. <laughs> right, that's true. Um, but also, um, you know, it's weird because like Volkswagen is now doing Scout stuff in the U.S. That's definitely going to be, gonna be a, a big competitor to Ford. Competitor yeah. to Ford. Yeah, it's just a weird thing. It's like uh, doesn't seem like it. A long term, yeah. We haven't we haven't heard much from Scout lately, right? Uh, things are moving. I don't know how things are moving. Yeah, they're they're a ways off. All right, the Kia as like that thing looks a lot like the Ford Explorer. As I just I just realized that as I open up the the concept image, the EV5, uh, an SUV from Kia. That's uh, it's uh, something that's going to be just below the EV9, so something a little bit smaller. Um, obviously no third the row. EV, yeah, no third row. Obviously, the EV6 uh, is uh, is a sort of sedan crossover, so it's a little bit different. Uh, but the, the, these, this is the concept. Obviously, not something that uh, like look at that. That doesn't look very production. Ooh. But the exterior, you can sort of uh, put some money on because uh, 
the EV9's exterior was uh, was similar, and uh, and made it the production that way. So uh, we we can uh, have some hope on that front. In terms of the powertrain, uh, no specific information, but it's going to be the EGMP platform, so it's going to be the same thing. Uh, probably going to have similar specs as the um, EV6, uh, just uh, um, not as efficient, most likely, since it's an SUV format. Doesn't make sense? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people are waiting on the EV9. This is kind of a, you know, afterthought. Because there's already a lot of this already out in the market. I mean, that that's a Ford Explorer. Yeah, going back Look to your that, car. it's the same it's, car. It looks very similar to the Explorer. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> I don't see the difference. I mean, there's a lot of vehicles like that. This yeah, car. yeah, that's fair. So that's why the EV9 is is a lot more exciting for most people. Yep. All right, um, RVs, uh, electric RVs. We've been talking a lot about trailers, electric trailers made from ele for electric vehicles but rvs are coming and we had two new ones on the list week out of electric vans so they are made out of um, electric vehicle platforms from automakers so this one here is coming from grounded a detroit-based rv uh, startup that is using the uh, the 40 transit so we're not as excited about this one just just unfortunately because of the range the e-transit is limited in range um, grounded, by the way, was just founded last year by former Tesla and SpaceX engineers. Uh, so we always love to see some uh, startups spinning out of Tesla and, and SpaceX. There are a lot of the talent, obviously, in those two companies. And um, they, uh, they do seem to be producing like a very nice product. So what, what, why I'm excited about Grounded is more about like if they can get everything working nicely on this, well, when the next E-Transit comes out with a bigger range, then they, it's going to be easy for Grounded to just keep updating their RV offering with vehicle platforms that are have a powertrain that's more in line with the needs that you have when you have an RV. Because like, look at that. This is a great-looking little electric van here, a van life, hashtag van life and whatnot. <laughs> Yeah. Um, like uh, set you like the modularity. Yeah, modularity. So um, I actually got to talk to those guys a little bit, and uh, th their big spin is you know they ha they have a client right now. They're sending like I think three to five vehicles to um, that they're you can order you know like hey I want two beds or hey I want one bed or a full bed or whatever. And I want a desk and I don't want a bathroom or you can order whatever you want. And it's very easy for them to just plop in the, the modules that you want. So I think that's a good idea. I think that's going to be quite popular, especially as they start building out. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, building on the e-transit platform, you're kind of you've got like one powertrain to pick from and uh, that's going to improve. So, you know, and they'll already have the space, but I think they are, they also want to, you know, even though they're located in like the Ford, um, uh, innovation space, I think they want to be, um, agnostic in their, their vehicle choices. Mm -hmm. So maybe they could, you know, put this in a, uh, Mercedes or, a bright drop or whatever. So I like the idea. Um, but you know, with the current 120 something miles, 108. Range. Yeah, that's that's not great. It's it's just it's just not what you 
usually use an RV for? Like, normally, what you would be aiming for is like just one charge a day. You, you, you drive the whole morning, you stop at lunch, you charge while you stop. As soon as your lunch is over, you're fully charged. You get back on the road, you drive the afternoon. You just move 400 miles or plus in, in your day and you park somewhere and you camp and that's the van life I just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but now, like this scenario, it's more like 108 miles, and then you charge for like snacks <laughs> after, like after two hours of driving or, or something, and uh, and then your snack is gonna be a long time because that's charging back that thing up uh, to full is gonna take a while, and then so it's just not an ideal situation. But like I said, the exciting part is that if they can nail that, oh, they, there's a 650 watt solar power solar um, panel on top too which is uh which is nice not uh, so not they, like aptera but it's gonna be yeah. uh you know a little addition maybe if you're out in the woods and you're you know want to power your stuff for a little while that'll help going off grid completely yeah. no it's, it's, it's the it looks to me what they're trying to do right now is to get all the pieces together for when the in the next generation when they get um electric van that has more range you can do it now, this is basically what the other startup this week that was on Villa, on Villa and Electric RV is um, what these guys named Rollaway. They're Silicon Valley based and they are partnering with GM's Bright Drop, which is their division to make electric vans. And uh, they build this electric luxury electric van. They call it, they call it the hotel room of tomorrow. So now, now you're talking about a little bit more decent range. You're 250 miles of range. So that's that's a full morning of driving, and then you stop for lunch, charge it full, drive back again. Uh, though Bright Drop, um, are they good on the highway? Like they can, uh, it's a highway vehicle. I mean, they're as good as a thing like that can go. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I mean, if they're saying 250 miles, it must be a big battery pack. Yeah, I would assume. So Spot class toiletries, a set of Yeti animalities. Oh, I love Yeti. I have Yeti all over the place here. How do they do the farm-to-table breakfast package from a local sustainable farm? You just drive up to the farm and you get a... Oh, wait a minute. Is it like... Can it, you, can, you can't buy that thing? Is it just for hotels right now? So, I don't know. Makes no sense to me. Uh, on-demand apps, including room service. Keep, okay, yeah, it's a fleet. So it's going to be like an Airbnb-only experience type of thing. Different yeah. accommodation options. Oh, okay, right now it's only pre-booking, but like you, you're gonna have to sell that thing. Come on, especially with the Airbnb economy right now. Like people, like it is incredible looking though. Mm-hmm. Like that's a van. That's crazy. Look at that picture right there. Yeah, around the beach. Yeah. No, I mean the best way to do it is you sell that to people that want to do these. These kind of manage these and find locations to put them and but especially if you have them move like 250 miles like how do you could like you're right how do you cover this room service and this farm to table breakfast if maybe they just part of it. the appeal is that you have 250 miles of range on right it. like if you bring it across the country and then, you, and then they're like right uh, i want my room service now please like makes no sense it's brand new stuff uh, but um we'll keep an eye on it see how it evolves yeah, I'm really excited about the uh, electric RV space. I think maybe next year is going to be the big year for that. Yeah, and the trailers too. The the light ship that we reported on last week—that's cool. That's sweet. yeah, that's super cool. Especially when you pair it up with a Rivian or or a Tesla Cybertruck or 
All right, we're going to jump into the comment section, guys. So if you have any questions, any topics you want to discuss, uh, now is the time. We're going to start right now with Farfalamu. All right, question. If Tesla were actually serious about NACS or NACS, they would make it available... They would make available a cheap CCS adapter like the J7721. Has the ship sailed? Has Tesla missed the boat? Are we stuck with CCS forever? Well, what's cheaper than the Magic Dock, though? It's already there. Yeah. Um, I think there's also limitation in terms of cost uh, when it comes to CCS. I think there's a, there's a cost attached to it, like a licensing cost. Yeah, and there's also like a handshake. It's not just like mm-hmm. a metal to metal. Um, but but uh, but I I do get the, where the question is coming from though is like questioning whether Tesla is serious about making this a start a, a charging standard in the first place. And uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't think they were that serious about it. So I think it was more of a last last ditch effort really. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It seemed like uh, came out of nowhere, and it went nowhere. All right, uh, Curdy Shah, will there be a grace period? I think he's talking about the uh, cheap Tesla. I think the grace period is about to end. No, that's <laughs> the thing. That's why they come I should have said that, by the way. I wrote it in the report, but I didn't say it on the podcast. Part of the reason why they communicated that to the employees is like, let them know, let, let, let customers know. If, if you have someone that's like, oh, we might get delivery on April 1st, well, you're going to get a nice April 1st joke where you think you're going to get the tax credit and then you won't. So yeah, you need to be aware of that for if your timing for delivery on the model three standard range is around that time. All right, Dan Oberstay says the takeover immediately warning does not ding your safety score. Uh, Oh, that's good to know. I didn't know that. Again, we're talking about uh, this 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 thing. Okay, yeah, you're right. It might. It's probably different than uh, the disengagement. It's not an actual disengagement. Well, it is disengagement, but it's not because of me. Yeah. All right, uh, Denmark's speed limit is 130 kilometers per hour. That's you're good. You're still under 85 miles. Uh, backpack activates the seatbelt warning. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, if you put like a heavy backpack in your back seat, uh, sometimes you get that warning. Does it affect oh, yeah. back seat? The the score does it also match the back seat? Or if it's just the, the drivers and if you put the backpack and, in the passenger. That's a good question. Something worth looking into if you have Tesla insurance. The late night driving sucks. I had to work where I had to meet at 3 a.m. Yeah, it's kind of unfair that uh, people who have to drive at night are automatically. Uh, Question, wouldn't the Tesla mega casting have a front and back? Therefore, we would need two mega casting. It's not clear exactly for a cyber truck what's going to be mega casted. Like we, it looks like the bed is going to be one of them. Um, but there's a lot more like the whole origami thing that was unveiled at the in 2019 unveiling of the cyber truck looks like it's was a quite the exaggeration. Let's just say it like that. But um, so yeah, it's not clear exactly what the body parts that are going to be mega casted are going to be. Uh, it would make sense though to like have one mega casting specifically for one and then another one for another part uh, so we might have to wait for that the new uh, giga press to to be ready in order to for the cyber truck production to go all right kyle first, kyle rash uh yes most your u.s insurance includes requires bodily injury usually quoted as three 
numbers where the first one is bodily max. My state, the minimum is 30, 60, 25 bodily total injury property. So your insurance covers your body your bodily injuries. It sounds like we found the instrument salesman in the, yeah. in the chat. <laughs> uh, James Corrine's question, what will be the next Tesla model uh, that is made in Giga Berlin and when? Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago where Tesla had said that the Model 3 would be next. But that was sense. a while ago and they haven't said anything in a long time. So it might be a situation where the Model 3 gets bumped for a next generation vehicle. Maybe. Yep. All right. Uh, regarding the uh, Explorer, it's so much smaller than the Ice, Ice Explorer in the US. Um, I think that's because of one, it's in Europe. Two, it's an MEB. I mean, the, the US Explorer is like a seven seat, it's a big vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, you know, I think it's. European Explorer. I wouldn't like. I think Ford might have messed up by calling it an Explorer because they're probably going to have an electric Explorer in the U.S. and it's going to look nothing like the Explorer in Europe. So, I don't know. No, oh, plenty of auto automakers do that, though. Right? Yeah, that's true. On different versions. Um, have you got uh, version eleven yet? I have not. Yeah, I have not received it. Received it on my own car just yet. Um, but I've seen some first drive reviews, as usual, mixed reviews. The same people that love FSD love it. The people that are a little bit more skeptical are still very much skeptical with the V11. So, you know, like I'm not too surprised, honestly. Like, uh, even though for a while we thought that V11 would be the one that's going to get us excited and sort of uh, make the path to through full self driving. Uh, a little bit clearer. I don't. I would I had my doubts about that for a while, and sure enough, the update seems to confirm them. But I haven't tried it myself just yet. Um, spring is coming too. The roads are clearing a little bit less snow and whatnot, so it might be nice to try the, the newer version. So I'm going to do that as soon as I get it on my car. But I'm not overly excited about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, at least. And it, unfortunately, it's hard to trust the people who have gotten it because every yeah. every release is the most amazing release ever. Yeah. And everyone is biased about it. Everyone. And the reality is not. Yeah. All right. Uh, the European Ford Explorer is tiny. We already uh, yeah. a little over 4.5. Is there any talk of castings in Model 3? So, well, that's that's the thing that's exciting about if Tesla was building a new line in Berlin for the Model 3, where you would assume that they would do that. They would include the casting. Um, but no, there hasn't been a change to casting that there was for Model Y with the Model 3 in Fremont, which is the only place that it's being built other than Shanghai. Um, just because introducing, even though you get all these advantages for going from one part, from 70 parts to one part, you uh, disturbing the production line for a vehicle that is so crucial right now to Tesla's numbers, it's not worth it right now. So no, there hasn't been any talk to updating the casting just yet. Though Project Island has been, uh, the, the update to the Model 3 has been rumored to include that, uh, but that's not coming until like Q, Q3 and the Q2, early Q3, something like that. So we'll see by then. It's still like a three to six months away, three to five months away. We think it's that far away. I, I mean, we've seen them on the roads, but uh, that's usually 
pretty far out. Uh, most reports are citing like Q3. That'll be interesting. Mm. All right. And that's pretty much it for the comments. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the show this week. We appreciate every single one of you. If you do like the show, please give us a thumbs up, a like, a subscribe, and all that good stuff. If you're listening right now on your podcast app, uh, we got a bunch of five-star reviews last week. We appreciate every single one of you that, that did that. It takes a second to do. It's free to do, and it helps the show tremendously. So if you could do that, it would be appreciated. And otherwise, we're going to see you next week. A little bit early, 